Hello and welcome to the Unbundled Attorney Mastermind Podcast. My name is Dave Ahrens and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Unbundled Attorney. In this podcast, we interview many of our provider attorneys, as well as some of the leading experts in the industry to isolate the best practices for building internet-generated leads and how to ethically and effectively offer unbundled legal services and other more affordable options in your practice. For more information about our services, visit www.unbundledattorney.com. All right, I'm really excited for this episode with provider attorney David Gross out of Vancouver, Washington. We've been working with David for a long time, ever since he, basically a month after he started his own practice in Vancouver, Washington, after moving from Philadelphia. And this episode covers two main things primarily, in addition to some other practical tips and suggestions. But number one, limited appearances and unbundled services. We talk a lot about limited appearances, as well as number two, scaling a practice from being a solo practitioner to hiring contract lawyers, to hiring an assistant, bringing on a partner, and just expanding out as your uh, client base grows. And so with limited appearances, he really spends a lot of time talking about when and how he offers those options, how to deal with you know cases in which, for example, you're not representing someone on the paperwork that you prepared yourself. Um, and then also the unbundled options he offers, the price points, uh, how he works with clients, how he coaches clients that are going to be representing themselves pro se. I mean, this is a really good episode for attorneys that are offering unbundled and limited appearances or are considering offering these options to really get some practical tips on how to better work with clients that are going to either be pro se right after you prepare their, their paperwork for them, or you're only doing one limited appearance and they potentially may be continuing on from there. So just some great practical strategies there. And then also for new solos or solo practitioners that are growing and maybe getting more clients, either be fueled by our leads or just are wanting to get to that next level, you know, how to start making that transition, Co- uh, contract lawyers, how to write, you know, place an ad, the, the fee split for a hiring contract lawyer, and just overall how to make the transition in thinking and psychology from being a solo practitioner wearing all the hats to having people working for you and building you know a small business. And so this is a wonderful episode, so many great strategies here. So let's get right into it, this interview with David Gross, one of our provider attorneys out of Vancouver, Washington. All right. Hey, Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Dave. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a long time coming here. Uh, as I was saying when we were just chatting a minute ago, uh, I feel like I know you really well. You've been working very closely with Graham Scott for uh, the year and a half we've been working together. But uh, from what I've been hearing, things have been going really good, and uh, it was a nice springboard when we started working together back in March. So I'm really looking forward to you know hearing more about your story and uh, and and charting the the course that you've had over these last you know, year and a half since you start, and also since you first started your practice. So thanks for taking the time to join us today. Happy to be here. And uh, yeah, we've had some, some growing pains and some stumbling blocks, but uh, I think that we've uh, really been able to make good use of the leads that I get through uh, Unbundled. So uh, yeah, happy to help out. Well, growing pains and stumbling blocks are the meat and potatoes of podcast interviews. So I'm looking forward to diving into all those growing pains and stumbling blocks because that's where there's lots to, lots to learn and, and, you know, it seems like when we we're, are most challenged is when we seem to make the most growth. So uh, I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. So maybe could you talk just briefly, you know, you, I know you have a background uh, working in government and then you transition to full practice. So you're uh, starting your own practice. Can you talk a little bit about your background and, and, and when you made that transition and how that's been for you? Sure. I was a, uh, uh, an elected prosecutor in a small county in Idaho and then moved to Seattle and joined the prosecuting attorney's office there and uh, had a great career in Seattle uh, for 11 years and did 
uh, almost nothing but constant trials while I was there. And so uh, my time in court, um, you know, I was, that's, that's where I lived. And so uh, I moved to the East Coast for family reasons. And uh, once I was there, you know, having a, a, a 15, 17, whatever year career it was at the time, uh, it was tough to get into any kind of government agency. They all want to hire uh, low and promote from within. And to hire me and put me, uh, you know, above someone who'd been there for eight or nine years didn't seem like uh, something they wanted to do as far as internal morale. So I started uh, working as a contract lawyer for a small firm just outside of Philadelphia. And uh, and it was great, and I learned a lot, and I loved those guys. But uh, it just wasn't lucrative enough. And uh, a buddy of mine was starting his own firm back here in Vancouver, Washington, right next to Portland, Oregon. And so I uh, I came over and uh, started my own firm. We share office space. And so I had a, a physical location and a couple of clients uh, handpicked and delivered to me, which uh, was great. And then uh, I'd worked on a lot of family law in Philadelphia. So when I got back here, that's what I chose to focus on as much as I could, despite all my experience in criminal law. And uh, somehow either uh, I found Unbundled or Unbundled found me, and the uh, the leads started coming and literally allowed me to keep my doors open for the first six or seven months uh, just through the clients I got from Unbundled Attorney. So it was a, it was a, a very lucky coincidence. Yeah, can you put us uh, in, in time there from when you started your practice? And by the way, you know Vancouver. You know, have you been there before? You spent time in Portland and then across the river in Vancouver. You know, why, or was it solely because you had that friend that was starting a practice, and so you figured, hey, let's give Vancouver a shot? Uh, I was kind of curious about that. Yeah, no, I I uh, lived uh, primarily in Seattle, and so um, you know, my best friend being here in Vancouver, I'd spent some time here, but. Uh, the entire reason for starting my firm in this town, uh, well, two reasons. The primary reason was uh, my best friend and I have wanted to work together closely ever since our first year of law school when we met uh, 25 years ago. Uh, and uh, the second reason was that uh, Seattle is uh, really heavily stocked with attorneys uh, doing family law, doing criminal defense. You name it, and there's you know a million law firms doing anything. So Vancouver seemed like a uh, uh, as good a place as any, and so it was certainly better than trying to break out uh, in the on the East Coast, where uh, again you've got you know a million different law firms all specializing in things, and some gigantic ones doing these full service uh, programs. But also you know being a guy who has uh, undergraduate and graduate degrees from the University of Idaho. Uh, I think that some of the people on the East Coast thought that I must have studied by candlelight in a log cabin or something. <laughs> I just, you know, I've been a law professor and uh, I had a, uh, I, I thought a pretty stellar resume. Uh, but you know, getting my foot in anybody's door was really a challenge. So, you know, come back here and uh, uh, things seemed to open up for me. That's how, kind of how Vancouver happened. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so that was when? When was it that you started your practice in Vancouver? Oh, February, February of two thousand. Yeah, February of two thousand fifteen. And I think that Unbundled and I started our relationship uh, in March. So um, I wasn't here for long before uh, we found each other somehow. Yeah, and, I, and I'm really humbled by the fact that you know it was so helpful for you in your early days. Uh, 
get keeping the doors open and, and keeping clients flowing in that door and uh, and all the work that you were doing for the clients, we certainly appreciate it too. And so I'm glad that uh, fate would have it that we would meet, Dave. So uh, and obviously, <laughs> obviously, since we since that time, you've gone through you know a lot of different phases. You know, going from sole practitioner and then you transition to you know hiring some contract lawyers. So can you talk about uh, you know why you made that transition and how that's been for you and maybe take us through. Some of those uh, those changes over these over the last you know a couple of years. Sure. Well, the you know having no experience in starting my own firm, I, I sort of stole my business model from uh, the guys I was working with uh, in Pennsylvania. Um, and the one thing that I knew that I had to do was keep overhead low, uh, especially having no client base and no place to guarantee any sort of steady stream of phone calls or anything. Uh, I designed a website. Um, is it okay to mention brand names on here? Of course, absolutely. Yeah, okay. I designed my own website on uh, through Vistaprint when I ordered my uh, business cards. Uh, having the last name of Gross, uh, I figured I needed to pick a better name for my firm than you know Gross Law. So I <laughs> did some research and stumbled upon Pinnacle and uh, uh, got uh, the company formed as Pinnacle Law Firm or Pinnacle Law Office LLC, and. Uh, uh, at some point in that process, Unbundled and I found each other. And so the in the first effort of keeping overhead low, uh, I was doing all the business stuff, all the business organization, all the marketing. Uh, I was reaching out to all the leads that came in, uh, meeting with everybody, and doing all the work itself. And even with you know five or six years of family law experience on the East Coast, the procedures, of course, are different back in Washington, and uh, and so I, there were some growing pains there just figuring things out. And so um, having unbundled ended up being beneficial uh, in that I was charging people flat fees, relatively small amounts of money, and then learning some things on my own, and it was therefore only costing me time and not clients' money because I wasn't going to charge them for my learning curve. And so I found that to be kind of a, an unexpected benefit that, you know, I could make some mistakes on my own, but it wasn't going to be costing the clients money. It wasn't going to be showing up on their invoices as time spent on your case when it was just a flat fee thing. And if it ended up, you know, costing me additional time, well, you know, time I had to spend. It wasn't, it just wasn't, uh, uh, at the expense of these clients who are coming in and asking to asking me for help. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. Also, for for newer attorneys to to consider doing flat rates, and then you know, in a way, did it did it force you to become more efficient and be more clear about what how long things are going to take, and really think about things, you know, thoroughly. You know, because obviously, if you do a flat rate, and then all of a sudden you end up spending a lot more time on the case than you expected, it kind of it burns you a bit. But you know, obviously, you don't charge, and so. It's an interesting idea. So, why did you originally determine to do flat rates, and and how was that? How did that impact your firm? And what? And also, what did those rates look like? Well, the um, part of the reason why I I, I started considering flat rates uh, was because the the idea was introduced to me through Unbundled, but also because uh, in Washington, just as I was starting my firm, uh, there was a rule change from the Supreme Court that was allowing non practitioners to set up uh, set up shop and start. Uh, producing documents for people, not representing them, but uh, giving them packets of, you know, here's your divorce uh, petition and your motion for temporary orders, and I can even help you fill these things out. And so we had this brand new market competing with uh, barred attorneys uh, 
to you know do this kind of work. And so I and it's turned out to not be as big a threat to the market as a lot of people thought it was going to be. Uh, and we end up having to sort of clarify and unscrew some things that they screw up uh, as we go. But uh, that's why the idea of flat fee services uh, was sort of introduced. Um, and I've been through a couple of divorces myself, and I, I am certainly aware that lawyers can be expensive. And, and I know that as I set my rates and figure these things out, that uh, you know, if you want to have, if you want to be able to help people, then perhaps having some uh, level where you, you are, you know, yeah, come in with a five thousand dollar retainer, and I'm happy to help you out. Where you're going to be sitting in your office with nothing to do for a lot of the time, because. Yeah. You know, 5000 bucks is not something that a lot of people just have handy. And so to help people out and continue to feel like a counselor to people and to help them through this process, um, doing a flat fee uh, service really seemed to work for me and for these people who are coming in. So I got a feel very quickly for the limited budgets that people had, uh, and they're very open to uh, discussing you know, what I can do for them for these limited budgets. And very few people seem to be wanting a handout in any way. Uh, I did have some that would come in and sort of use the consultation as a chance to get some free legal advice, uh, which later led me to start charging for the consults. But, uh, uh, but, in, but that's how the flat fee thing came to be. And as far as the rates go, uh, as unbundled markets me, the ad that pops up in the Google search says, you know, $500 to whatever. And so that was sort of the baseline that I started off on. Yeah, 500 and to 1500 plus. Exactly, plus. yeah. So uh, um, the conversation often goes with clients that, you know, obviously the, the less we do, the less it costs you. And uh, I've adjusted my target hourly rate for unbundled clients accordingly. And we now have a pretty streamlined process for uh, if you just want us to prepare a packet of documents and some directions, and this is how you do it, and then once you have them done, come in and we'll review them with you. Uh, that's where our $500 service starts. Uh, if there's going to be any court appearances involved, it's going to get higher, and it depends on you know what it is and how many documents are going to be involved. And so part of this is still sort of this uh, intuitive process of, um, you know, okay, a parenting plan is going to require a petition to modify, uh, the proposed parenting plan, the declarations in support, you have to have an adequate cause hearing. And so if you just want us to prepare the documents, that's going to be one cost. Prepare the documents, go to court for you, that's another cost. And uh, we're starting to create, finally, after a year and a half, uh, as we consider some of that measured growth that you and I spoke about a few minutes ago, uh, starting to develop more of a structured price list uh, so that now that we're getting busier and busier, as another attorney in my office is going to start handling some of the consults, he and I are going to be on the same page at all times about what we do and for what cost. Did that answer your question? <laughs> yes, it does. No, absolutely. I mean, it, okay. It's really helpful for, I think, a lot of us and attorneys are certainly to hear that are you know, offering these options and beginning to explore different ways to do it is to think about, you know, okay, well, what are these, what can I, what, what should I charge for this? What should I for that? You know, how should I structure that? So, you know, just sharing, you know, that $500 option, how you explain that. And then, you know, each level beyond that, you know, then you've got the document preparation plus a limited appearance and, 
you know, Washington's one mm-hmm. of the, I believe one of the states that supports that or at least allows you to put in that notice of limited appearance, right? Absolutely. And that's, that was another thing that we had to sort of figure out was um, rather than just enter a notice of appearance, which then requires, and then to withdraw from a case in Washington, you have to file a notice of intent to withdraw. And that notice becomes uh, effective without objection, uh, you know, a number of days later. And during that process, you could get stuck in another proceeding or another at least response to uh, some documents that come in that have a deadline. So rather than have to file a notice of intent to withdraw and wait 10 days after service for that to become effective, uh, if we can just file the notice of limited appearance, uh, then we do that. And then as soon as that appearance is done, file a notice with the court that clarifies to everybody that our limited appearance is complete and we are no longer the people upon whom you should be serving anything. And that allows us to not get sucked into ongoing things that we haven't been paid for, uh, which, you know, we learned the hard way on a couple of those. We didn't uh, get out of something fast enough, and a pro se litigant on the other side uh, starts bombarding the court with motions and declarations, and there's a timeline to respond. And before you know it, we're spending, you know, hours and hours of things for free uh, because we didn't get out of it quickly enough. Or because we didn't draft our fee agreement in a way that was clear enough for the client to understand that we're only doing this much. That was a very difficult lesson to learn and something that if anybody is just coming on board with Unbundled and considering limited appearances and flat flat fee services, I think that's a really difficult lesson that you can tell them in the initial client meeting as many times as you want that uh, I'm going to come in and do this one hearing for you. Uh, but when you know the hearing gets continued or there's a uh, follow-up hearing to enter orders or uh, there's another motion filed on the same subject matter, let's say you jump in to help somebody out with a contempt proceeding and the court finds no contempt. And then the other party being pro se files immediately another motion. Well, if your fee agreement says, you know, we're going to jump in and help you out for contempt of court, that's incredibly vague. And the client is now coming to you saying, you promised to help me with this and I paid you for this. And rather than get into a dispute with the client, uh, you know, it, it may be easier to capitulate and go, okay, we'll help you out with this as well. But now you're costing yourself time and money. And so, Structuring the fee agreement, being very clear about what you will and will not do, and going through that with them very pointedly and highlighting even when necessary some of those things uh, has been uh, very important. And we haven't lost a single person just because of our effort to be more clear on that. Uh, People are still wanting help. People are still willing to pay for help and sign up with that understanding that we're jumping in for this much and then we're out. And uh, it's it's been great, but it was a, that was a difficult learning curve, and it it uh, it cost me quite a bit of money because I ended up paying some of my contract attorneys for their time because I didn't want to stick them because of my mistake in my inartful drafting. Yeah, can, can you? It's it's really interesting to see how the different courts throughout the country have been accepting or not accepting uh, the ability for attorneys to offer limited appearances. 
you know, through a, a simple notice of a little appearance and, you know, maybe half mm-hmm. the half the states, you know, allow that. Other, the other half don't. And it's just, it, but, you know, gradually what we're seeing is like, you know, I've, we've been doing this for years and years and years and following Unbundled and Limited Scope. And, and you know, it's been interesting to see each state, all of a sudden now another one accepts it, another one accepts it. And Massachusetts has a whole training system on it now. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, so it's, oh, it's an good. evolution. And I think, you know, each state, you know, is more conservative than others. And, and there's, you know, so they evolve you know, slower, or, you know, I would, I, mm-hmm. I think at some point there'll be a day when every, in every state lawyers can offer limited appearances without that challenge, but we're just not, not necessarily there yet. But for those that can, can you talk about, uh, just the, also the benefit of being able to offer limited appearances from a cost standpoint to the client and, and how that's been able to help your practice grow and, and, and also serve more clients by being able to do so, assuming you're doing it within a, uh, a structured manner that uh, doesn't get you stuck in the pitfalls that you talked about. Sure. Well, for the client, uh, some of them get really, as anyone who does any family law work at all knows, some of them get really caught up in the emotion of it. And as soon as you get into court and the other side, uh, the other you know parent or partner or you know, ex-wife or ex-husband or whatever is present, even if they're not speaking, uh, rationality seems to fade away. Uh, and the ability to articulate their position uh, disappears. Uh, and some people just very simply have stage fright, and they worry about, am I saying the right thing? Am I saying the wrong thing? What does this judge think of me? Oh, my God, does this judge hate me now? Um, uh, and, of, of course, there are many vile things said about people, and clients worry a great deal about um, the court assuming that these naked allegations are true. And, uh, you know, as we all know that, you know, a lot of it's white noise because they hear it every day and only when they're backed up by some facts or evidence do judges start to care. So getting us in on a limited appearance basis um, allows us to go in and articulate their position um, and uh, argue for them. We know the, the commissioners in Washington the first level of almost any family law case is dealt with by commissioners, and then it goes to a judge later on. So we know the commissioners, and we, you know, we know how to relate to them. We know what they care about and don't care about, and so um, it can be a big benefit to the client just to have us there. And we can also recognize an untenable position, concede where necessary in order to gain some credibility for our client, and then push where we think we can gain some ground. So for the client, that it, it carries that benefit primarily. One of the risks for us, aside from uh, getting sucked into you know something we didn't think we were signing up for, is sometimes you end up going to court based on filings and declarations that we had no business or no no part in preparing, and uh, that can be difficult. But <laughs> pardon me. Um, the courts are have been awfully understanding uh, about that, and we've spoken to a number of commissioners and a number of uh, judicial assistants about our role in limited appearance because we were concerned that you know, are we really helping our firm name by doing this or are we hurting us? Uh, how do they see this whole limited appearance thing? And everyone seems to acknowledge that getting an attorney involved can have a downside in that it makes it can make the other side panic and run and, and ask for continuance, which is granted almost always. 
and get their own lawyer. Uh, so it can put the brakes on something momentarily, but it usually means that things are going to be handled more professionally and more efficiently. And so uh, by and large, the bench uh, is in support of the idea of getting us involved at some level rather than just having pro se litigants go into court and throw stones at each other and leave it to the judge to, you know, decide which ones to catch. <laughs> right. It's a great analogy. And you can really picture that as being really what's going on there. And that's, been, and that's an interesting point in the analysis from the court standpoint of, you know, limited appearances and supporting it and obviously why some courts in certain states, you know, haven't allowed it and so forth. But, you know, what you talked about something there where, you may be entering a limited appearance on paperwork that you may not have prepared or how, how do you balance that out? I mean, do you make sure that when you you have to review that paper? So let's say someone says, oh, I got court two days or you know, so can you talk about those different scenarios, whether it be because of a time factor, you didn't prepare the documents or because they're, you know, now they're, they've responded. Now they're just they're now they're not quite comfortable with going by themselves and, and how you how you prepare yourself properly to enter appearances on all these different these different types of scenarios. Well, if they come to us and they have a, a, a court appearance in two days, then uh, we're often uh, just going to we're, we'll jump in with the express understanding that this hearing is going to be set over, and uh, that's pretty easy to accomplish in Clark County. Um, early on in my time in this county, I was filing. Motions to shorten time, along with the motion to continue, and I go into court. And finally, one of the commissioners very kindly said, uh, "Yeah, you don't need to do that. If you're coming in at the last minute and someone's just hired you, just come into court and say, you know, hey, I just came in. Can we set this over? And you'll get your continuance. So um, we can then. We've had cases where clients will come in, and the local rules are very clear on." the length of declarations you can file, and the number of declarations you can file. But of course, pro se litigants don't know this. So they will file these 12-page uh, you know, novelettes and file seven of them, uh, trying to <laughs> hammer it into the commissioner's head that uh, you know, their, their father really is terrible and uh, the home he has is, uh, is dangerous and uh, you know, whatever it, it may be. And so... When we're faced with going to court, having these supportive documents, um, sometimes it's actually easier if they've filed, you know, a ton of nonsense like that, because then we can come in, get a continuance, we can prepare one declaration that is uh, clearer, more persuasive, sets forth the uh, important facts for the court, because we all know that, um, and I've told you know countless clients this that. You know, if you present them with an encyclopedia, uh, they're not going to read it. They've got 20 to 30 cases on any given calendar, and they're not going to sit down and read your novel about this case to prepare for it. So you need to have something that is concise and presents the facts. And so even though the local rule technically doesn't allow it, uh, courts will not strike a better prepared uh, declaration uh, that's filed after you get the continuance. Uh, in fact, they may rely on it. So that's one thing that's helpful. The other option is sometimes you just go to court based on what they file. And uh, sometimes, you know, very rarely, because normally you can get it set over and do some patchwork, but uh, sometimes you're stuck with what it is. And 
when that happens, you need to represent the client and focus on the important part. Meanwhile, letting the court know when necessary that, uh, you know, I wasn't involved in preparing this, but let me tell you the important stuff. Uh, and so you can give the court a wink that, you know, I understand there's some stuff in there that you don't want to hear or you don't care about. Let me focus you on what does matter. Uh, and that way it's not harming our reputation in front of the bench and we can still represent the client and advocate the important stuff uh, that may be contained somewhere within those seven or eight pages or whatever. It's just uh, that's just a, a matter of comfort in court and uh, a little bit of experience, I think. Yeah. And, you know, can you talk about obviously this declaration is really important in in your county and throughout the state of Washington, other other bench you know judges and courts weigh it differently read it differently some do some don't and, but for you mm-hmm. in your experience how important and how much of a value has it been for the clients where you end up just preparing that declaration and also you know attorneys need to evaluate you know the, the, that unique benefit that level of benefit for their local courts as well but you know it's it's a real has how much has that made a difference for the clients where they take up you up on that five hundred dollar option because that's probably maybe what all they can afford. They can't do the appearance and so forth. And you've mm-hmm. helped them with their documents, draft their declaration, and and then they go and represent themselves. I mean, how 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 valuable has that been for them that they were able to work with an attorney that's willing to offer this unbundled option, and now all that's done properly instead of the the stone throwing that we described earlier. Well, sadly, we don't get a lot of feedback uh, from them when they are the clients who come in and seek our help and then go in and represent themselves. We've had a few cases where the clients have come back and paid us another flat fee for another hearing or uh, this was so great, we want to do this some more, but I can only afford to pay you, you know, at, uh, you know, X amount, you know, per meeting and X amount per hearing. And that's fine. And I've done that for especially one client that I have in mind that I'm actually meeting with this afternoon again. Um, but typically in the course of having us prepare that, we also get to talk to them about how to present and uh, what to leave out, what to put in, what to emphasize, uh, that the court doesn't care a lot about you two standing in court and spitting at each other. The court wants to know, you know, what's going on? How do I, how do you help me make a decision? And so that's what you need to focus on, uh, not your anger at this guy or his new girlfriend or whatever. Um, focus on, you know, here are the issues that I see that uh, are relevant and that if you talk about these in court, that's going to help you make your case. And at least for this one client, uh, it went well. And the original declaration presented was about seven pages handwritten. We turned that into a page and a half, typed, uh, changed the constant references to the new girlfriend as the mistress. I think mistress was used about 38 times in the seven-page document. We, we got rid of that because it was just unnecessarily negative, and, and uh, it made her seem uh, petty. And, like, you know, you don't want to do that for the court. You want to be focused on... Uh, this is what's best for my kids. It's not about um, the injured feelings that may still be lingering from the divorce, no matter how long ago it was or how recently. Uh, just, you know, get away from that kind of stuff that might feel good when you write it, but doesn't present well in court. And so 
along with present, you know, preparing these documents for them, going through it and explaining why we made the choices we did in retyping it or preparing it or whatever, uh, we get to also help them prepare for the time when they go and represent themselves. And so uh, the few times we actually get feedback, uh, it's been great. Uh, people are really happy with the suggestions we made and the uh, the, uh, the documents we've prepped. And it's gone incredibly well. We've got some feedback uh, and some people kindly, you know, putting out some great reviews for us on Avo and things like that that have, uh, I think, helped our firm reputation as well as helping those clients along the way. Yeah, you know, it really gets at the the analysis for the courts and the ethics committees to, you know, put out the ethics opinions they have supporting attorneys offering these unbundled options because, you know, the the difference in impact it can have, you know, and how challenging it be could be for the client to put the motions right. aside and be practical yeah. and clear on how to sway the judge and the, the value it can be for you to sit down with them and go, you know, I understand you want to say these things. I understand it feels good. And I understand the emotions can be high and you can be really upset. But, you know, these are the things that you need to lay out. And this is how it goes. And and the, the amount of difference it is from... Like you said, the seven-page rant to something right. that's a well-articulated, fact-based, written argument, and, and how different exactly. That can be. Yeah, rather than just saying I feel like my kids would be safer with me than with uh, my ex-wife, uh, that's that's not going to get you anywhere, you know. But now, if you can make this fact-based, that because of her drinking or because of her horrific driving record or the fact that she has a religious objection to seatbelts or whatever it may be. Um, you know, those kinds of things are fact-based, and judges can hang their hats on those things. And uh, I find that clients are incredibly receptive once you start trying to, you know, put them in the judge's shoes. This is who the judges are. This is what they listen to every single day. Think about what you're presenting to them and how you help them you know, how do you make their job easier? Give them the tools to go your way and feel good about it. And clients are incredibly receptive to that. They understand that you know, stone throwing is not going to accomplish anything. And it doesn't matter if you win the argument with your ex. What matters is you walk out having the court ruled in your favor. That's the only thing that matters. So keep your eye on the prize. Yeah, exactly. And this is really this is really interesting. Is there anything more you can say about how you coach the client when you're offering unbundled, and then they're going pro se from there, largely I'm sure due to financial considerations and just not being able to afford you to make the appearances and so forth, you know, and you know also as, as strategies that other attorneys might be able to learn from. Just you know the option you offering these options for the amount of your, you know the amount of time you have now. It just how you can better prepare that client, how you can coach them, how you can understand what the judge's perspective is, anything that you might say or share with them to help them be, you know, better understand what it is they're trying to do that that client is trying to do when they go to court that you developed sure. in the process. Well, one of the things that uh, they need to understand immediately is um, you can't walk into court with uh, pages of uh, medical records or I've got statements from their daycare providers or whatever it may be. Uh, at the commissioner level here, uh, the decisions are made based on everything that's provided in writing ahead of time. And if you're presenting the motion, it's 10 court days before the hearing. If you're responding, it's five court days. And then you can have replies three court days before the hearing itself. 
But that's where the rubber meets the road. You don't get to go into court and say, oh, yeah, and also there's these facts, because the court's going, yeah, I don't care. That wasn't written, and it's not in front of me appropriately at the moment. And uh, if you, the other side has a lawyer, they're going to, of course, object to those things because they're not, uh, they're outside the content of the declarations in front of the judge. So uh, having them understand that what's in writing is what matters. Uh, if the other side starts making additional allegations about you, first of all, don't take them personally. Don't worry about what the judge does or does not think of you. Don't be concerned about whether it's embarrassing for these things to be aired in front of a courtroom full of spectators, because if you're pro se, you're being heard on a pro se docket, which means all these people are in there with their own problems and their own concerns, and they're not listening, or they don't, and they don't care about what is being said about you. They don't know you. They have their own kids and their own stuff to worry about. So what you have to focus on is how you present your case, and you will know what the basis of their argument is because you'll see it in writing five days before the hearing. So you've got that stuff in front of you. You can reply in writing. Um, but when you are arguing in front of court, here's what you need to focus on. And, you know, let's say it's a contempt proceeding. Uh, then it's, you know, it's very clear. Like, this is what the parenting plan says. This is what he consistently fails to do. There's no confusion here. It's just that he just isn't caring about his kids or he's, you know, uh, denying me my time with the kids and he's doing so consciously and just stick to the point uh, that is made by all the evidence you've given. And, you know, you, you just help them understand the difference between evidence and argument and presenting facts uh, through argument, which isn't going to be allowed. And so once you just walk them through how that's going to work and really get them focusing on what the judge is going to care about and what the judge is going to listen to, what's going to resonate, uh, then they seem to have some success going in and arguing on their own. Uh, or if they have absolutely no confidence in that whatsoever, they'll often come up with an additional fee for us to go to court and do that for them, uh, which has happened Gosh, uh, as often as it hasn't. I mean, you know, I'd say 50-50. But a lot of these times they end up feeling comfortable with us. They know that we know what we're doing. And I go, you know what? Uh, I'll beg, borrow, steal. I'll sell my motorcycle or whatever. And uh, I'd like you to go to court and do this for me. Okay, great. Do you, have you had people when you're when you're actually coaching them on exactly what they need to do? Make sure you do this. Make sure you do that. They go, all right, I'll just sell my motorcycle. I need you guys to go to court for me. <laughs> did, you, did they make yeah. that transition right then and there? I mean, yeah, or at least absolutely. in the process, yeah. once they start to realize, I think underlying is they start to realize, wow, this is, there are some serious things that need to be followed here in order. And the results of my ability to be a parent to my kid or whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish is sure. on riding on how they present these things. Yeah. And uh, for better or worse, uh, I take them at their word if they say they can only afford 750 bucks up front or 500 bucks up front or whatever. And so when they come in, I am really trying to help them put their best foot forward in court. I'm not trying to scare them or bully them into paying me more money for another court appearance. Um, but often in the, court of, in the course of trying to assuage any of their fears or prepare them for this, they start realizing, you know what, this is not in my wheelhouse. Uh, I'm a machinist or I'm a, 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 a person who works in a, in a laboratory every day and presenting my case in open court is really not going to be something I'm comfortable with. Or, you know, Dave, that all sounds great. I guarantee I'm going to choke when I step up. So let me come up with some more money. I'd really like you to go do that for me. 
And so, right. yeah, that's absolutely happened just in the course of trying to, like, here's, here's the work we've done for you. Let me give it to you, show you what we've done and why, and best of luck to you. And instead they go, yeah, yeah, that's uh, not going to work. I need you to do more. So, right. It, yeah, it happens with some frequency. Well, and, and also when you can do the limited appearance and you have that as an option where you continue to go, you know, potentially appearance at a time, the difference in cost from the unbundled option to actually having someone appear is not the same as the difference between, you know, 500 and 5,000. It's, and what, maybe you could share, what, what is the difference between, so because, in other words, like people don't have to come up with a whole lot more money. It's just, it's just an, it's, it's just a bit more to cover that time for that appearance. And, and for you, what does that difference look like from a fees? I mean, it depends, of course, on the type of hearing and so forth. I know it's going to vary, but you know, that it, it isn't that big a jump, is it, from, from doing, for them to doing unbundled and then, but because you can offer them a limited appearance here in that, in your state, you know, to, for the next, for you to actually appear. It's not a gigantic jump. And for us, it's going to depend primarily on whether or not we've had a role in preparing the initial documents that lead us into court. Uh, if we are handed a pile of things and, uh, you know, I'd like you to go to court for me in three days, then it's going to be a minimum of 750 because we're going to have to review these things. Uh, we may have to doctor them and then we have to go to court. Uh, and court time, of course, is expensive because, you know, you go to court and especially if it's a neighboring county, you have to travel to that court, uh, which adds to the fee. Um, but, you know, even if it's here in Clark County and the courthouse is about six blocks away, uh, you go to court and then you wait. Uh, and the judges are great. It's about trying to get the attorneys heard first and get us out the door. But sometimes it's just beyond their control or it's a room full of lawyers and you just are stuck waiting. So if it's a, but if it's a court appearance where we've had a hand in preparing the documents or we've prepared all the documents ahead of time and then they're jumping in and saying, you know what, I'd like you to go to court for me too, then it's normally going to just be 500 bucks, uh, additional, uh, because then when the hearing comes around, obviously we have to, uh, review the documents to know what we're talking about, then go to court and make the appearance and undoubtedly participate in the preparation, if not the presentation, of the orders that flow from that hearing. So uh, 500 bucks, we normally do just fine on that amount uh, for a court appearance in that scenario. Uh, there have been times when we're not making uh, a lot of money on that $500, um, but it seems to me to be a fair amount uh, to ask the client for that service. Uh, so if it's just, okay, we've prepared all these things and now you want us to go to court based on, you know, two years of practice here in the county, I have a pretty good idea of what that's going to look like as far as the time investment goes. And so uh, 500 bucks seems a reasonable amount uh, for that. Yeah. And you talked a little bit earlier about, you know, how you're trying to get these price points clear because you're having someone do more of these consults for you and we're going to talk about mm-hmm. you know, how you've expanded and so forth, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So, you know, unbundled where you're just drafting for them and the first and just coaching and then they're representing themselves, 500 ish, 750 maybe. And then, you know, drafting to limited appearance, you know, maybe 1,000 to 1,250, some of the range. Can you share what that roughly looks like? No, that that nails it, and that's that's roughly yep. what it is. And we're 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 working on fine tuning that a bit here because we know 
uh, especially the the guy that I've been incredibly lucky to have come on board. He's been doing nothing but family law for like you know twenty five thirty years. Uh, so we have a we have a, a pretty solid idea what it takes to prepare a parenting plan and that sort of thing. And that's going to be you know that process is going to be uh, one fee. Uh, the child support work can be more because there are proposed orders. There's the motions. There's the child support worksheet, the financial declarations, the sealed financial documents. And so there's time spent in collecting uh, from the clients, uh, going through the financial work, trying to get it from the other side and hoping or imputing uh, wages to the other side, and then preparing the worksheets and stuff. And even with software, uh, the differences in you'd, – you'd think that with software that is uh, compliant and programmed to work within the – Washington State child support statutes, uh, that it would be fairly formulaic. But I have found that, you know, uh, my decisions on applying this tax structure to their income or, you know, adding this income here or leaving that out, uh, you know, that you can still walk into court with two wildly different child support worksheets to support your, your, your point. So child support it gets more expensive uh, as far as preparing those, but you're absolutely right. If it's just preparation of documents, handing that off, it's usually 500 to 750. The simplest example of that would be a contempt proceeding, a motion to hold somebody in contempt. You got to do a declaration. You know, here's what the declaration should focus on. Sometimes you can even type that up uh, right in front of them, um, but often you know I'll have them write something up for me. Uh, get it focused, and then I'll I can you know have somebody type it up instead. Um, that's the the simplest package we can do for anybody, uh, and then the more com- complicated becomes the modification of a parenting plan or the modification of child support, because you know those need more and more supporting documentation. So uh, that's where you get up into seven fifty or so just for that stage, and then. If there's going to be a hearing, it's going to be an additional 500 bucks. If we've prepared the documents, if we have not, and we're relying on someone else's, 750. Uh, and then, you know, we can always, you know, revisit this and you can, you know, ask us to do more and more. And we can always talk about new fee agreements for those amounts. And if they're established clients who are coming back to me for more services and more services, then the fee, the fee amounts can be adjusted. That's the nice thing about having your own firm is that you know you can take care of these people who are establishing a relationship and coming back to you and uh, continue to be a client. And so we end up, you know, they end up paying me and I end up helping them and it works out for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And boy, these the rates you're quoting, especially in, in, in states where we have attorneys that can offer limited appearance are just you know, lockstep with, uh, you know, what other attorneys have been quoting that offer unbundled and then a limited appearance and oh. so forth. So it's, you know, great it's, to know. well, and it's interesting to see that, you know, from all different pathways, you know, attorneys are offering these options and testing and, and doing different things. It roughly mm-hmm. comes out to, you know, 500 to 750 to draft the documents because that's, you know, you can take that time and then you've got the limited appearance, 500 to 750 for that. And, you know, for those that are listening, that want to have this kind of in your face and interface laid out in a clear presentation <laughs> format. Um, that's sure. why we did the webinar. It's on our website, amonattorney.com. There's a webinar you can register for. It's free. And we just lay that out on, on a chart so you can kind of take notes and lay out some of these options and start thinking about you know, how you can integrate these price points. The other thing I, wa- I wanted to ask you about, given that you're doing a lot of these 
the options as flat rates, which you know, you know, we've, we talk a lot about that, and we encourage attorneys to think about doing unbundled as a flat rate. It gives you the capacity to start thinking about how you could become efficient, and like you said, have someone drafted up and so forth. So, what, what have you developed systems? You mentioned software, document automation, software preparation, and then also having a paralegal potentially. Obviously, as you've grown, you have the capacity to have someone else maybe do certain parts of it. Uh, you know, how have you been able to? maybe streamline that process so that maybe that $500 or $750 does not necessarily take two or three hours of your time. Maybe it only takes one of yours and an hour of you know, someone in your staff that's paid a little bit lower rate. It's time to get that out the door and done. Sure. Uh, you know, and, and uh, uh, you know, that's one of the big growing pains that I went through is that as I started getting busier and busier, uh, there were leads that were being sent to me that uh, I was never making contact with. And that's problematic in a number of ways. Um, one, I don't think that's honoring my agreement with Unbundled. Two, uh, when when they click on the ad, they see my name and my firm name. And now they're seeing this guy who they've reached out to, no matter through what medium, uh, who's absolutely ignoring their cry for help. And whether it becomes, whether that ends up getting posted on Avo or on my website or whatever, uh, or if it's just a bad feeling left uh, with someone, that's not a great public relations move. And it's not something you want out there. And so even making contact with all these folks uh, became a real priority. And I got lucky in finding a legal assistant who is fantastic at her job. And uh, I've had her reach out and make uh, a lot of those initial contacts with people. And we talked a great deal about what is to be said and not said in that process. And uh, uh, we've had great success. And I've had a lot more people coming in and uh, about a 90 to 95% contact rate as far as the leads we get um, versus the people who are then contacted by Jessica. Uh, so at least they're getting someone on the phone who says, you know, I received what you sent us and uh, let us know how we can help. And then, you know, many of them are signing up to come in for the initial consultation. So uh, having that person on board just for that part has been great. And I've heard some of the recent podcasts, especially um, a woman from San Antonio who talked about the uh, vital importance of having the attorney reach out to these folks. And I don't disagree. Uh, it's just not something that I necessarily have the time for at the moment. And it's not something that I'm ready to hand off to anyone else. So Jessica and I went through some training about what she's going to do in that process, and she's been fantastic at it. The other part about why I think getting an assistant is vital is the time saving. Uh, she knows exactly what she's doing. She's done this before. She's young, but she's been doing family law for a couple of years. We use a uh, software system called PeopleSoft, and uh, or FamilySoft, I beg your pardon. It's, I think, produced by PeopleSoft or something like that. But FamilySoft is the, the uh, software that we use. And it's used by just about every law firm that I come into contact with uh, through the courts here in Washington. And uh, Jessica's incredibly familiar with it. She can pop out a proposed parenting plan and the, or the petition to modify or whatever we need just as quickly as I can. So she's doing that, and then I edit it and review it, and it, I end up you know, saving a lot of time there. 
and I can devote more of my time to the full retainer clients at a billable hour. And my firm, just with the addition of her, has become so much more profitable. So that was a a difficult step for me in my continuing efforts to keep overhead at a real low, bringing this person on board, <coughs> excuse me, at a salary uh, that I'm now responsible for uh, was a huge leap of faith. But uh, my business has increased, my profitability has increased because of that, and uh, it's been absolutely invaluable. So uh, I'm glad you asked that question because I'd almost forgotten to talk about Jessica and her value to the firm. And I've heard other people in your podcast discuss how important that legal assistant is. And uh, uh, my experience, uh, you know, starting my own firm for the first time in my life at 46, uh, you know, and, and trying to figure out all the business aspects uh, with the guiding principle of keep overhead low and keep profitability up. Um, the added effort and the risk involved in bringing on a legal assistant has paid off in spades. And so if you can find someone who knows what they're doing and is good with people, um, I, I mean, it can just, it can launch your practice into a whole different level. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad we're getting this too as well, because I would be completely remiss if we didn't cover this, you know, evolution of growth that you've gone through, Sure. Uh, you know, from, from March of 2015, when we first started to, you know, to today, you know, and not necessarily just from us, but you know, how you've just grown your firm and get more referrals and everything else. And, and, you know, you've gone through phases of, you know, gosh, and you talked, you talked about, you know, how that was difficult for you to, to bring on that next person and make it to the next level. And then you've hired, then you hired a couple contract lawyers. Can you talk, maybe talk about those different phases and what you had to go through to, to do that? And then also, you know, how you did it a bit so that those attorneys out there that, like you said, are kind of wearing all the hats and they're the CMO and CEO and VIP PSLs <laughs> and everything else, all and everything else in between. Uh, sure. can start to think about how they can start to get out from under that and start hiring and delegating some of these tasks and, and growing and, and eventually scaling a firm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for me, it was just a matter of um, uh, survival and also my theft of my business model from the guys that I worked with in Pennsylvania. The I was brought on as a contract attorney working with them, and I was paid a portion of every billable hour that was billed and collected to me. And so when in, uh, I started getting busier and busier, I'd simply put out an ad in Craigslist uh, to seeking, you know, seeking contract attorneys and made it clear it's not a full-time position, it's not a salaried position, you know, it's just contract work. And uh, from my struggles with employment on the East Coast, I have a, a pretty good idea what people are getting paid to just go and do, you know, countless hours of document review at any given place. And so I was offering, you know, more than that hourly for the contract attorneys who come on board, uh, depending on their experience level and how much supervision they're going to need. Would you, so, would you mind you sharing know, initially... briefly what that ad might look like? I, I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry, but just, just no, not at all. The details actually help because the attorney might go, oh, "Well, yeah, that's a good idea. I'd like to hire a car contract lawyer." What, 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 what that rate might look like? What's the split? You know, Rhonda, I know did like a fifty-five to forty-five versus. I think I can't remember exactly what it was, right. but. Matt's done something yeah, different, but what she said. yeah, exa- yeah uh, exactly. So. Uh, yeah, uh, for me, it's uh, it started off at um, I, I bill my time and uh, Glenn, the new guy that just came on board. Uh, our time is billed out at three hundred dollars an hour. Uh, for the contract attorneys who come on board, I bill them out at two hundred dollars an hour. 
And the rate at which they're going to get paid is initially $75 per billable hour. And so, uh, for the, it, it becomes a challenge in the flat fee world, uh, because I'm getting this flat fee and asking them to service this client and, uh, then I, I need to keep track of how much time they're investing in something. I know what it should take. I don't want them to spend six hours on something when they're not going to get paid for that. And so that's required a little bit of training and, and supervision to keep that under control. But for the other work I can give them that is billable, uh, then I bill them out at $200 and I start off paying them that rate. And then for, uh, I've had, and I've had a number of them come and go. Uh, one, just because her family situation mandated that she stick with her real estate career because she was being so much more uh, profitable there. Um, and a few who have just not, you know, I learned as a prosecutor trying to train junior deputy prosecutors, the one thing I mean, you can teach anybody how to do closing arguments or opening statements or how to do uh, jury instructions at a, you know, in a responsible way that gets you to what you need. Well, you can't teach. You can't teach someone to give a damn. And uh, I've had some trouble finding some of these contract attorneys who just care about my clients and getting the work done. And so I've had to part ways with a few people along the way, but I've got a fantastic and super reliable contract attorney working here now. Uh, and then Glenn just came on board, and we've structured his uh, pay in a different way. He gets half of anything that's billed. And so the, the firm takes the other half, and I don't see a lot of that money because the firm's getting it to cover operating costs, but he's worth that to me. So um, I'm trying to find one of my ads. I can just read it to you, but... Um, it's, yeah, maybe you could just email it, and then uh, I could oh, absolutely. a way to put it up you know, on a page. If, if you have it handy, you can read through the main things, and then I'll try to figure out how to get it available so people could take a look at it uh, for sure those thing. that might want to hire a yeah. contract lawyer. Yeah, and I'll keep, I'll keep looking for it even uh, as long as it doesn't interfere with what I'm trying to discuss with you. So, uh, yeah. but it's 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 pretty straightforward. It's like you know, uh, growing busy family law oriented law firm, seeking contract attorney. Um, you know, not a full time position, and I make it clear that uh, you know telecommuting is fine, that kind of thing. Uh, and the one thing I didn't have any problem with was getting a response to it. Uh, there are a lot of lawyers out there looking for work. Uh, there are a lot of lawyers out there working part-time here and there who are looking for more work. And uh, uh, I've put the ad out twice and uh, got bombarded with resumes both times. So if I can find it, I'm happy to send it on uh, either to your email or Graham's. Um, but uh, that's the that's the nuts and bolts of it. It's it's pretty short, pretty straightforward. And, uh, and then you start getting, you know, a wide variety of people responding to it, you know. Uh, Lawyers fresh out of law school that still have puppy breath uh, that need, you know, a lot of coaching or lawyers like Shannon, the one that I've got on board now, who's practiced in a few different states, came home to this area and uh, has a great deal of family law experience. And I can trust her with anything. Um, the only thing that we've need to, needed to focus on is, you know, not overworking and overthinking some things. And those are things that she is the first one to tell you that this is where, you know, I run into trouble sometimes is that, you know, I'll spend 12 hours on something that could have taken me an hour and a half. And so um, getting her focused on that is, has been, uh, well, her, her struggle for me, I couldn't be happier with what she does, but um, 
the that's how I structure the rates as far as you know what I bill out and what I pay them, and uh, I will err on the side of uh, paying the contract attorney for their time, even if it bites into my profitability a bit. Uh, and it may not be the smartest business thing in the world to do, but I've seen the value of having a quality attorney work for me that I can trust with my stuff versus having uh, lawyers that just really don't care much about the work product or the client. And so I'm happy to, to make that adjustment when there's somebody here who I want to, I want to keep them on board. So, yeah, uh, I mean, there's, yeah. There's so much here. I mean, we could we could probably do a full round two just on hiring, sourcing, you know, interviewing, <laughs> hiring. Firing. Yeah, probably. Just, I mean, there's so yeah. much that we, you know, I certainly could, could give feedback on that from the experience I've sure. had, running business and so forth. Uh, I guess the final piece was, you know, you've gone from you went from you know hiring an assistant, a couple of contract lawyers, and I think recently you brought on. You sound like an operations team or guys that were helping you, you know, start looking at the numbers and uh, sure. you know, maybe you could share a little bit about that next phase where you're like, okay, you know, things are really running well, but let's take a closer look at, you know, what are numbers and, and analyzing things from a statistical standpoint to start thinking about what what those next moves should be and at what point they should should come. Yeah, well, again, it's one of those fortuitous uh, occurrences, you know, sort of the way Unbundled and I stumbled into each other. Um, and, you know, if I can take just a, a second... When I was on the East Coast, I had any number of re- referral services I worked with, and but they were the kind where, okay, someone gets popped for a DUI, they reach out to us, we're going to send this out to three or four attorneys in this county, and then you know you pay for that referral, but then you have to find it out, and good luck to you. Uh, I paid hundreds of dollars to those kinds of referral companies and never even received a phone call from a client. I would lowball it, get nothing. I would highball it and emphasize my vast experience as a prosecutor and a defense lawyer and a law professor and get nothing. It didn't matter the approach. I never got any response. And then Unbundled came to me uh, with this proposal of a referral service, and I was skeptical because of my experience. Clarification, but, sorry, not a lawyer referral service. <laughs> Advertising. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And so... You know, I'm the only guy that uh, unbundled contracts with in the county, and I get to choose which other counties I expand to. And so at the moment, I'm covering a number of neighboring counties as well. But they're much smaller, so I get very few referrals from those. Um, so you know, that's, how I, that's how I decided to go with unbundled, and it's been just a real boon. But the other lucky thing was one of these times I put out an ad for a contract attorney, I got a response uh, from a woman uh, responding on behalf of her husband. And it was very strange because she was like acting like a headhunter for her husband. And uh, he ended up being the guy that now works here, Glenn. And he's been through, um, in the course of their uh, moves a couple times during his career, uh, and that, that's a long, long story that doesn't matter to anybody, uh, he's been through uh, starting a firm and growing a firm or joining another firm that's in its infancy and helping it just grow like gangbusters. So, uh, and his wife is a consultant and a, a real estate agent as well, but also a business consultant. And so she decided to come on board and help me out. And so I went from being a sole guy to having two and occasionally three contract attorneys down to one really good contract attorney uh, to then having uh, an assistant and my contract attorney and me. Uh, and now I've got myself and Glenn, who's on full time, 
Uh, and I still have the contract attorney as well and my assistant. And now there's this business consultant who, between her and her husband, Glenn, they've been through uh, growing law firms before. And so um, we're now working on uh, getting two websites going, one that focuses on family law, one that focuses on the criminal defense part of my practice so that when people are going and looking for a family lawyer, they're not seeing a guy who does family and criminal. They're looking for a guy who does family law. And uh, we're, so we're, we're working on that and we're working on uh, measuring the practice in a meaningful way, whether uh, it's by number of clients we have, uh, number of uh, uh, hours billed or the you know, amount of money taken in on any given month. And we're working on the process of analyzing those things to decide which one to start using as a metric that will tell us when to next hire uh, a business operations manager. Uh, and um, the women that you talked to from Oklahoma uh, seem to have this great system where you know they do the client work and then the business operations person talks about money with them. And then someone else is also monitoring their account and keeping in touch with those folks to, you know, replenish their trust fund or their trust account or, you know, start working on, okay, we need to start looking at cutting our work down or stopping our work and withdrawing or whatever. So that kind of person will probably be the next step. At the moment, I outsource the bookkeeping uh, and uh, that's fine. They generate reports that are useful for my accountant but not terribly useful as far as trying to decide what to do. And of course they don't do anything else like client contact or anything like that. So uh, the next person will probably be someone who does the bookkeeping and business operations. Um, But you know, those decisions will be based on the amount of work that we have and the profitability that comes from that. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And, And, you know, certainly running a business as a solo, it's pretty hard to, be keeping tabs on numbers and analysis and all these types of things because you're trying to, you know, just get the work done, field new leads, call that person, <laughs> do that, you know, all that other stuff. So, you know, it, yeah. right, but at another level, it's, you know, now that you, you've been able to delegate and you have such a great team behind you and obviously that's, that's taken a lot of time and work, you know, starting to be able to look at those, those numbers and, and, and hire those people that can really help to streamline your growth and, and take things to the next level. You know the value of knowing those numbers is really key. You know, so I'm glad that you're able to get to the point where you're you're able to to be looking at those things at that level. Yeah, it's going to mean a great deal. I mean, it, it'd be nice to be able to uh, know at the drop of a hat how many clients I'm working with, what our numbers were last month as far as uh, billable hours, money collected, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I've been doing even with the addition of these other lawyers and with uh, my assistant. I've still been handling my own full caseload and trying to do all the business stuff. And so uh, there has, just hasn't been time to you know, take a step back and spend all the time necessary to really start tracking that kind of stuff in a meaningful way. And so now that I've got this building team on board, uh, we're, we're getting into that place where, you know, we can grow in a responsible way. And, I've been sort of growing, you know, as necessary. And part of that has been just from the sense that I've got too much work. I'm not taking care of my clients. Uh, and part of it, you know, a very small part of it has been from a, uh, you know, 
profitability standpoint, you know, what, what can I afford and not afford? It's, a lot of it's just been intuitive. And so now we're at the stage where we're looking at expanding. Um, the firm's doing well. I'm very fortunate with that. But how can we expand in a responsible way so we don't overstretch and overextend ourselves? And, I mean, I, obviously that could kill any small business. So. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's a different set of challenges. You know, it's... <laughs> It's, 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 you know, there's one thing that's just practicing law. And then this other thing is running a business, you know, being a small business <laughs> owner and scaling a law firm. And, you know, it's challenging. You know, you don't, you don't learn this stuff necessarily in law school. I mean, there's how to run, you know, how to do billable hours and so forth. But, you know, a lot of attorneys really struggle, especially ones we work with, you know, on being able to analyze sure. your numbers, when to grow, how to hire a contract lawyer. And, you know, that's some of the benefits of, you know, being, you know, listening to this podcast is we have attorneys come on and talk about, you know, how this, how to make these next phases. And and by the way, for those that are listening, the episode he's referring to is an interview we did with Rhonda uh, Telford-Naidu. The episode, I think, is called Scaling Your Law Practice from Solo to Small Firm in a Certain Amount of Time, I think. Um, and she talks a lot about these systems that they've had to develop be, you know, because they were taking on so many more clients you know, from our leads and so forth that they had to find ways to get new contract lawyers, get more office space, expanding to new cities. Like you said, hiring that business manager where you know they're only talking they talk to the clients just about their case and then they have someone else entirely that talks to them about money so they don't have to have that relationship be two different things just like a chiropractor when you go to your chiropractor normally if it's if they have assistant or something you know they take care of you know the assistant takes care of the little contracts then you go meet with the chiropractor they serve you then you go out and you take care of your bill in a similar light there's right. this there's this additional hire you could have that that so that that, that communication isn't one about economics. It's just solely committed to how do I serve this client, and that it can really make a big difference. Yeah, and my level of respect for uh, Todd, the guy I worked with in, in Pennsylvania, has grown immeasurably because he's still uh, he's got a partner, but you know it's him and his partner, and they do all the business stuff and all the client work. And uh, I had absolutely no idea what was involved in that until I jumped in and tried to do it all myself, and uh, just keeping track of all of it. Uh, was all new to me because I was, you know, I came out of law school and uh, uh, I was a government lawyer and I loved that job and it was great, but that's not my world anymore and I have all these other concerns. And uh, so, yeah, it's been this, uh, you know, I've, that that episode you were just talking about, they had this great system in place and I'd love to be there uh, and we're working on getting there, but it's, you know, this has been a uh, late in life learning process for me. So it's uh, it's been Challenging at times. We've had a few hurdles to clear, but uh, uh, it's been great. And Unbundled Attorneys has really, really kept my doors open and paid the rent uh, more often than not. Well, thanks, man. I, I, I'm certainly humbled and glad that we've been able to have contributed to your growth in that light. And I thank you for the acknowledgement. And also thank you for taking the time today to you know share so openly about the options you've been offering your clients, the price points and the challenges you've had to overcome to, with this growth. And certainly the, your comments about limited appearances is really valuable for those that uh, for attorneys that are starting to consider offering that in states that are now allowing it. So I just, I thank you for uh, taking the time today and just being uh, so helpful and uh, and forthright with uh, everything that you've gone through to to get to where you're at, and I'm I'm really really excited to see uh, the trajectory uh, you're on and where that's going to take you over the next uh, months and uh, and 2017. Well, it's been a long time coming, and I'm glad we uh, glad we did this finally, Dave. 
Yeah. Yeah, it feels good, Dave. So thanks. Uh, I'm right. certainly glad we got a chance to talk. So thanks again for coming on. And for everyone else that's been listening to the podcast, uh, we, as always, really appreciate you participating and, and learning and taking good notes and applying it in your practice and sharing with other other people that you think could benefit. Uh, you know, certainly supports the show, but you know, really everything we do here is in support of of you being more, you know, being able to you know learn the best strategies for offering unbundled legal services and more affordable options to your practice, grow you know successful firms, and make a difference at the same time. So, thanks again for for listening, and we will certainly see you all on the next episode. For more information about how our lead generation services can help you grow your practice, visit our website at www.unbundledattorney.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to subscribe so you get each new episode as soon as it's available and leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Once again, thanks for listening.